Hi everybody, and welcome to The Dry Life, a podcast where we talk about the ins and outs of the alcohol-free lifestyle, sobriety, and everything in between. My name is Kayla Lyons, and I'm your host. Let's get started. All right, guys, this is Kim Singleton. You may know her from her blog. She is an infertility and eating disorder and sobriety recovery advocate. She's got everything going on. Hey, Kim. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Of course. So for those who may not be familiar with your blog or your Instagram, why don't you tell listeners a little bit about you? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Kim. I'm um, 35 and uh, from Northwest Indiana. Um, I am a military spouse um, for about 10 years. My husband's been in for almost 16. Um, and we're currently living in Colorado. Um, I started drinking when I was 15, like sophomore in high school. And just right away, um, it kind of um, escalated. Um, I was going through a lot of family problems at home and um, it just, I realized right away that it was something that would make me, you know, feel better and just kind of escape my reality. Um, And at the same time, that's when I kind of also um, started dabbling in uh, distorted eating. And that was very subconsciously. I I didn't really know what I was doing. Obviously I was so young, but um, these two things kind of carried on with me through adulthood. I also did struggle with Adderall. Um, usage in my late teens and early twenties as well. And, um, it's just interesting now being on the other side, how interconnected all of these things are, but I had no idea at the time. Um, but anyways, um, my husband and I got married in 2012. Um, we suffered from a miscarriage or of our first year of marriage and then went on to struggle with infertility. Um, we do have a four and a half year old daughter. Um, and we've been trying to get pregnant for the past almost four years. Um, since then we're kind of, we're kind of closing that road though. Now um, we've exhausted mm. all of the um, natural things that we could do. And at this point it's just IVF or, or, you know, just let things happen as they are. So, um, but that's something I'm just really passionate about um, because it is a very heartbreaking and lonely journey. And um, I just want others, you know, to know that you're not alone. Totally. I think <clears throat> I've heard a lot of women, especially in the recovery space, talk about infertility and even how, you know, they, they found that once they stopped drinking, it got a little bit easier. But I think a lot of women don't know how much alcohol or, you know, drug usage can affect your fertility. And for men too, not just women. Right, exactly. And my husband has never, um, he's never struggled with alcohol at all. He's, it's actually been kind of not a pain point between us, but he can't relate like at all to, um, I mean, mm. he understands now as I've gone through it, but at the beginning he was just like, I don't get it. Just stopped, you know, drinking. Like it, you know, he doesn't, didn't understand that, but no, it definitely does. I mean, when we needed to, when I needed to like slow down drinking, because I know it obviously does directly affect your um, infertility. Um, it was fine for him. It was just like, all right, I'm fine. And me, it was like torture, you know what I mean? To like, yeah. especially when everything's based on your, your cycles, you know what I mean? Like the days you're ovulating and then, Um, you know, when your cycle does, you know, come, I mean, when I would, when I would start my period that those were like free for alls. I mean, it was like, all right, you know, I'm definitely drinking. I'm definitely eating sushi. I'm doing all the things that you're not supposed to be doing when you're trying to conceive. Um, and it was just, you know, a vicious cycle, but I do have to say like, once I stopped,
Oh. I think I lost you there for Kim. Can you hear me? Yeah, I think you. Okay, sorry about that. That's um, okay. Um, I think kind of just start at. Um, oh, crap. <laughs> you cut out right. Um, but just right after I asked you the question. So maybe if you want to just start from, um, you know, how um, you were saying your husband um, okay. didn't really understand and um, your your periods and then you would eat and all that. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my husband um, didn't understand because he's never had an issue with alcohol or anything. Um, but it definitely affects... I mean, we're always told to like, you know, you know, drinking will help um, relieve stress and, and stuff like that. And especially when you're dealing with infertility, it's a very high stressful time. So I've noticed that a lot of women will be um, using, you know, alcohol as a coping mechanism to get through, you know, infertility. Uh, but at the same time, it, it affects it directly, you know, conceding. Yeah. Um, so I do have to say, though, after I did stop drinking after the first several months, um, you know, getting over the initial... Um, you know, you know, the triggers, I mean, the first several months are overall are always the hardest, I think, but um, my mental state is so much better now dealing and accepting, you know, what's going on in our lives, fertility wise than it was while I was drinking, and I was actually using it as a, you know, a coping mechanism back then. And um, it definitely wasn't so. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, I know, I'm 28 and my boyfriend and I we just moved in together last year so we're not even we're actually looking at a puppy right now um, <laughs> a comparison but these are definitely things I think about as I start to get into that place where kids are you know in the nearer future than you know when I was you know 25 and it really wasn't something I was thinking about at all and now it's something that I do think about and I often wonder you know is my like the for me it was like heavy drug use drinking the binge drinking mixing and stuff like is that gonna affect when I do want to try and get pregnant and right. I actually just got off the depo shot um now and so I haven't had a period in like a year okay um and it's gonna take it could take up to a year for my body to like recalibrate and you know now I'm having to be careful because I'm not on any form of birth control, right? but, um, it, it's just one of those situations where I'm, my, my hormones are all over the place. I've gained a ton of weight. I'm at the highest weight I've ever been. Um, but I'm for the first time, prob- like, like genuinely worried, you know, because I, I think it's one of those things when you're young, you don't think too much about, Oh no, um, not at all. <laughs> But I'm somebody who always wanted, like, I knew I always wanted to be a mom. Like, you know, I have other ambitions, but that's something I definitely want to be. And then I think, um, you know, what if that isn't in my future? You know, like, and how is it going to affect me? And like, you know, would I go back to drinking or using if if that happened? You know, because right. it really deters. And like you said, you know you plan for this certain future and then the cards don't go in your favor. Like, well, what do you do? You know? Right. Right. And it's also been interesting too. Um, 
being on the other side and you know we know that mommy wine culture is it's huge and it's a very real yes. you know real thing and at the same time I've almost felt I don't know like a out of place in, in a certain way because I I mean I did take mommy wine culture and kind of run with it in a sense after I had my daughter um but I couldn't relate on some levels because number one I have one child and I, I hate saying it but she's she's very she's very well behaved and I've never really felt very overwhelmed where I felt like I needed a drink to parent. I was the one that was like drinking, chugging, or like, you know, sipping on vodka secretly in my closet, like crying, Mm. like, why am I doing this? You know what I mean? To myself, it wasn't to escape like her or parenthood or anything, but, um, so it's been, it's interesting to see, you know, mommy wine culture, but then also dealing with infertility and how, you know, a lot of women will joke about, needing a drink to parent their kids and to escape and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, I've never been able to relate to that because I, I know what it's like to like, just want more children, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's no, like totally. Feeling. I think it's, it's the other side that people aren't talking about. Right. It's the insensitivity of what you know, that there's there's two sides story and your side and I can see their side like parenting is very difficult and very stressful especially you know pandemic children who are you know needing to be old right now and you know wild or if you have a child who needs you know like special attention right and you're also working full time. Like uh, I can only imagine, and I definitely think the drinking would probably cross my mind. But oh yes, yeah. At the same time, I definitely think on your end, it's something that's not being talked. What about the people who, you know, I think our parents page page posted a meme about this, and we got. A- I thought it was kind of accurate, and it was basically making fun of just saying like, "Oh wow, like." your kids you know like boohoo you have to be sober for your kids you know it's like well isn't that you have them because you want you know have children and have a family and and take care of something and love something and right you know, now we have this whole culture that's uh you know and a lot not a parent so I can't speak for anybody but that's what I see 100% yeah yeah it's, it's a slippery slope for sure. And I never want to touch, you know, step on anyone's toes. Cause like I said, I don't have, you know, more children, but, um, I just, I would like also to see, um, kind of, you know, women in the, you know, infertility realm to, um, be more aware of alcohol usage. I mean, obviously we know we shouldn't drink when we're pregnant or, you know, while we're trying to conceive, but I like, I feel like there's a lot of women that really don't take the, you know, seriousness of drinking while they're trying to conceive, you know? Um, and, um, I don't know. I just, I feel, I, I hope that that's something that we can, you know, talk about more openly, um, you know, and, and reach those women as well as, you know, the women that are, that are in mommy wine culture, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I was surprised at how many people don't really follow the don't drink alcohol when you're pregnant rule. Like, and, and, not so so much people I know specifically because most of my friends I really only have one friend who has kids um but even it, it's funny you said that because last night we were watching this new television show 
and the family sitting around having, you know, dinner and they're all drinking wine. And then the daughter announces like, Hey, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, okay, bitch, why are you drinking wine? <laughs> like, wait, what? But yeah. then I have this realization that like, you know, our, not just American society, but you know, the medical society in general has said like, yeah, it's okay to have a glass of wine. And doctors still to this day, like say that. And yeah. now, you know, now I'm wondering if they're going to be teaching things differently with, you know, the updated society stuff and, you know, just the sober is happening. But, you know, as for everybody who's already a doctor, you know, who already went through med school and was taught that, yeah, one, one glass is fine. You know, um, it's like how many people are, are being told that when in, in reality it, you know, it may have a very detrimental effect. Right. And you just, you never know. I don't, I mean, I know some women that have, you know, drank wine. I mean, it's always wine because I just, I, I there's also this view that wine is like superior to other, <laughs> to yes, other alcohol. You know what I mean? It's like, less it's detrimental. Yeah. It's yeah. like classier. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But I mean, we just don't know what the effects are. And I, um, even someone that has struggled with binge drinking and, you know, drinking in, in secrecy. And, um, I do have to say that I'm very fortunate that while I was pregnant, I, I never once, um, had any cravings at all while I was pregnant. But then at the same time, I was one that also, you know, suffered a loss and infertility. So while I was pregnant, I was extra careful. And, um, I was also very sick while I was pregnant though, too. So <laughs> that was, you know, not really trying to reach for the glass. Yeah. Right. Right. Totally. So Kim, um, that, I mean, I think our conversation's pretty heavy, but I think a lot of people need to understand, like when you, I know you said, you know, you and your husband have been trying, how have you been dealing with, you know, not being able to get pregnant, uh, and being sober and staying and not just, you know, giving up and saying, you know, fuck it. I'm going to all have that glass of wine or that bottle of wine because I'm, I'm feeling like, you know, really disappointed in what's happening. Yeah. Um, well, I, after we had my daughter, after we had my daughter, I was okay the first few months, um, of, I mean, I, I, I was, I didn't go back to drinking right away. It was when she was a couple months old and, um, it was, I once again, tried to moderate, you know what I mean? That's how it always would start mm-hmm. because I have had other, I have had a few other bouts of sobriety. Um, but there was, it was always a means to an end. Um, so I just, you know, I started trying to moderate and they would just progressively got worse. You know what I mean? It was, um, yeah. just, you know, you know, and then, um, I took a break when she was, once again, when she was about, I want to say like nine months old. And, um, that was simply because we moved, um, to, to Alabama and my husband was going to be traveling a, a ton. And I was like, I knew how I was. And I knew that, uh, when he was gone, that was always my prime time of when I would be able to drink and not have to hide it or, you know, moderate or anything. And I'm like, I have this little baby. I, I need to make sure that I'm, you know, okay with her and everything. So I completely abstained from alcohol like that for a year. And, um, we were, we started trying when she was about a year old mm. and, um, I mean, it was okay. I didn't really think anything of it because we were still newly, you know, trying to conceive and it was, um, you know, it took us a while the first time, but then once she was about almost two, um, 
then I once again started trying to moderate again. And that's when the fertility issues kind of started weighing on me because that's when I went back to the doctor and I, you know, I told him we've been trying for, you know, about eight months, you know, no success. So we started like the testing again and everything. And, um, that's when I kind of started like basing my drinking days around where I was at in my cycle. Um, I would mm-hmm. not drink on like the days that I thought I was ovulating. Um, and then like the two week wait was always so, so hard because I would want to drink because I was so stressed out about it. Um, but then you don't want to drink because you don't want to, you know, mess up your chances of implantation or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, then the day, like I would test and I just knew my, you know, it was always going to be negative. Um, not to sound negative, but I just could feel, you know, feel it coming on. And when I would test and then when my period would come, it was like the next like five days while I was on my period, it was just like a free for all. I would definitely be drinking every day. Um, and like, that's how the cycle continued for several months. Um, now we do have, we do have a male factor. So I should say we do have unexplained infertility. Um, all my tests have come mm. back. Um, oh, fine. Um, I do have low progesterone, but we do have a slight male factor as well. So it's the doctors are just, we just don't know what, like why. Um, yeah. and then things started getting really, really bad in 2000. Um, then 2018 into 2019, um, my sobriety date is September 17th, um, 2019. And I, that entire, uh, entire year of 2019 was just, um, was just pretty crazy. Um, if I wasn't drinking, it was because I was too hungover. Um, and then we were going through testing and everything. And the doctor did say that we've exhausted all of the, um, you know, medication that we can put you on. We want to start you on injectables. Um, so I knew when we were, I was going to start the injectables, like that was like serious, serious stuff. Cause I, my body was going to be pumped with hormones and they're super expensive. So, um, that was another reason why I was like, all right, I, I can't drink on these, on this medication. Um, yeah. and by that time I just knew that I had to stop. So, um, it definitely was, um, yeah, it was like super difficult when we were, you know, trying to, you know, conceive, but I was drinking and, um, um, but since I've stopped, it's, I've just been able to process my feelings and my emotions around it so much more logically rather than emotionally, um, you know, and just kind of accept things for how they are, you know, where before I was just trying to like, it was just, I don't know, I can't even explain it. (laughs) No, I think, you know, anybody who's in an uncontrollable situation where you're doing everything possible in your power, you know, and you're still not getting the answer, the action that you want, you feel really helpless. And I think a lot of us who struggle with substance abuse or, um, you know, any other kind of, like you said, any other kind of parallel disorders, um, that, those situations are really what test us, you know, like I, nobody really tells you, you know, I, I think people have this kind of distorted idea that when you get sober, everything that you want is going to happen and everything's going to be great. Oh yeah. And, you know, and, but that's the kind of the pink cloud of the beginning of sobriety and then reality hits. And of course, you know, I would say overall in general, things are definitely better. But, you know, life is still the same. Like, life is still going to be hard. You have to get stronger. And so I think being sober probably, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, has really helped you 
navigate this hard time in a much more sustainable way, you know, like now you are a mom, you know, and you're a wife and you are a leader and an advocate, like you have a lot of things going on and people need you and, you know, sobriety allows you to still be those things and yet grieve in the process. Um, but if you were drinking, you know, who knows what would be happening really. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just finding others that can like somewhat relate or have support, um, has been super instrumental in, um, when, you know, when you're feeling really low for sure. So what, um, you know, kind of inspired you to be so open and be an advocate in the recovery and in the infertility space, because, you know, like I said, I've heard some people talk about it, but it's still not something that I think is as, uh, people are as open about publicly, you know, it's, it's something that people seem to suffer in a lot of silence. Right. And I, I noticed that, I mean, even, so I opened up, um, early on when we had our, when when we had our loss years ago, um, I, I had a blog and everything and we announced the pregnancy. And then, um, when I had a missed miscarriage. And so after, after that, I was like, Oh my God, like, what do I do? I feel like an idiot. We already announced this, you know I mean? I was like 14 weeks at that time. And so I kind of had to like go back and like, she briefly share like what happened. And once I did that, I felt, I, I remember I got like so many messages from other people. This was like on Facebook and the, you know, my blog, and yeah. just other people that could relate. And I remember feeling so alone and so like helpless when it happened. But then when I got these messages from people, like how much better it made me feel because I'm like, wow, I didn't realize that like, this is not as you know uncommon as I thought. So I started mm-hmm. blogging about our process of infertility and like the treatments and um, you know, stuff we were going through back then. And, um, it just really like helped me process my emotions and connect with other people. Um, and I just continue, continued doing that. Um, obviously not when I, you know, I got pregnant with my daughter, but then I kind of started doing it more as well. Um, once we started, you know, um, trying to conceive again, you know, the second time around. And, um, I saw, I've noticed now, like looking back, there's like a, you know, some parallels between, um, you know, the taboo issue of infertility and then also struggling with alcohol as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's just, um, obviously I've been speaking more openly about infertility, um, well before I have about, you know, sobriety, but it's definitely something that has helped me, um, deal with, you know, the emotions and, and everything that it's going with it. But also, um, I know that it's, it's definitely helpful to others. I know that I wouldn't have been able to stop drinking without a doubt if it wasn't first finding, um, the sober community on Facebook and Instagram. Um, a thousand hours dry was like one of the first accounts that I, I, I found on Instagram back in 2019. Um, And, uh, that's what kind of made me realize that I wasn't alone, you know, that there's other women out there that are, you know, suffering from, you know, similar things. And, um, because of that, I want to be able to, you know, um, use my story as well, because we all have different stories, you know, um, not going to be, I can't totally relate to, you know, um, everyone, but there's bits and pieces of their story that I can definitely relate to. So, I just think that, you know, sharing, sharing our experiences and our stories is helpful because there's going to be someone out there that can relate somehow and it's going to help them in some way. 
100%. And I mean, 2019, that seems like 10 years ago. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, that was the first year, A Thousand Hours Dry. Uh, that's when I created it. So, I mean, you're an OG. Yeah. What, um, when did you create it exactly, though? Because I know it was the summer of 2019. And I was, like, searching hashtags on Instagram. I, I've never searched hashtags before. I didn't even, like, know what I was doing. And, like, that's how I came across it. It was just so weird. So, that's funny. Um, April of, okay. so wow. probably like right in the beginning. Um, yeah, that's so funny. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, things have grown so much. I mean, the, I think it's amazing how much things have uh, o- begun to open up. I mean, just from 2019 to now, the influx of, you know, sober and sober curious Instagram accounts and programs, organizations, right? You know, I feel like every day I'm getting an article texted to me from somebody like, "Oh, did you read this? Like, you know, uh, this is an article about you know um, somebody who went dry, or you know, this new study that's being done, and you know, people are starting to get more educated on, you know, how alcohol is really just bad for everybody. It's not." It's not always about recovery and substance abuse because, you know, I think people like you and I who have gone through those things, um, we understand, you know, we know alcohol is bad for us uh, on, a, on a different level. You know, it's, it's not only physically bad for us, but spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Um, but the kind of argument I feel like a lot of people have who don't have substance abuse is like, well, you know, I'm not an addict or, you know, I don't misuse it. I'm not maladaptively drinking. And it's like, well, that's true, but you know, alcohol is still bad for you on a moderate level. Like right. you, you can be a totally non maladaptive drinker and you're still putting yourself at risk to the different cancers that alcohol can cause, you know, heart-related diseases, um, you know, accidents, because, I mean, this when, when we do the research for A Thousand Hours Dry, I just, I swear, I come across new studies every week that just, like, shake me to my core, and I'm really taken aback by how, how we still have alcohol so ingrained in our society when it, it's literally so much more dangerous than a lot of, you know, street drugs or, or things that people judge so harshly others for using. Um, but then they have no problem going to the bar and, and getting fucked up right. and blacking out. Um, but, you know, God forbid, you know, somebody's using, you know, IV heroin, they're, you know, a low life, but uh, it's exactly. not really as different as people think. No, it's really not. And um, now that you brought that up, my my, my best friend, um, we were best friends since we were 11. Um, she's an addict. Um, she is a, uh, I mean, a hardcore addict, um, heroin, cocaine, and we come from a very, um, you know, affluent town and everything grew up the same way and everything. And, um, she, over the years, you know, we've obviously, we, you know, we keep in touch. It's just, it's, 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 it's hard, but she's, yeah. um, she, she obviously knows my story and everything. And we've, she's the person that knows like everything about me. And, and she told me years ago, she's, you know, like, um, you know, Kim, like alcohol is 
this was before even alcohol became like a, you know, a bigger thing. Um, you know, but she, she was like him, alcohol is, is, is legal. It's, it's legal. Um, and that's what it makes it so hard for people to understand is that, you know, what you're doing, um, is, is legal and it's acceptable and everything. And, um, but it, it's like you said, it's so different because we view these people that are, you know, addicted to drugs and everything, um, as like you said, like low lives and stuff, but it's, it's the same thing. It's, you know, that can be the same addiction. It starts out the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just, you know, society's perception, um, is just so skewed, um, just so skewed. I mean, for everything, when it comes to even, you know, prescription drugs and, and things like that, it's like alcohol is just glamorized and it's just not viewed as, as, as bad as everything else. Oh yeah. And when you think about it, I mean, you know, last year they had so many documentaries coming out about the opioid crisis and, you know, people don't like to think of opioid pills and heroin as the same thing or like scissor, you know, they're like, Oh no, you know, I'm, I was addicted to pain pills or, you know, and for me, like I was somebody who had a prescription, not pain pills, no diazepine problem, um, you know, and that's a whole other level of fucking the devil pill. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I learned, I, I kind of had a lot of the same thought processes, like when I went into treatment. And I remember bringing my drugs with me and they were like, you sent here. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm prescribed. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, no, like you can't. And I was like, oh fuck, this is like not going to be, you know, because I, I I had the same mentality, you know, for me, alcohol was my emotional crutch. I I didn't have a physical dependency, um, you know, but I did with the drugs. And so when I went to treatment, I had already been abstinent from alcohol for like a month and I was like, this is going to be totally easy, you know, whatever. Like I showed up in my like fucking tracksuit, like an asshole. Um, and then of course they're like, no, you can't bring your drugs in here. And I had a fit and I was like, I'm prescribed these drugs. Like, yeah. you know, I had this total disillusion that I was like above people because I would never buy drugs off the street or I wouldn't take anybody else's drugs but I was the kind of addict that would, you know, get all the drugs from my main, you know, whether it was my GP or my psychiatrist. And then I would go like doctor shopping Yeah, and I'd go to the urgent cares, you know, emergency rooms, whatever, and, and stock up. And, you know, somehow in my mind that validated that what I was doing was like better than, you know, somebody who's buying drugs off the street. I'm, I think that I'm somehow smarter because, you know, well, I'm buying these regulated pills, you know, they're, they're FDA approved, you know, I'm trying to be, I'm basically thinking that I'm being smart about it. Right. Um, but in reality, you know, I came out of treatment and, and after eventually getting sober after probably like a year and a half after treatment, actually deciding I was done. Um, you know, I I did AA and I did NA for a what it really did make me realize is like all of these, you know, disorders are, they're parallel. Like they may not be exactly the same, but we're all in the same swimming pool, different lanes, but we're all heading in the same direction and we're all kind of going down the same path. And like, I can't tell you the amount of stories I've heard of people that were, you know, 
like you said, came from affluent families, had no, you know, no family history of drug use, had, you know, they weren't in gangs, they had a a fine, you know, socioeconomic background. And then they got hurt in high school, you know, on the football team or in college and, or they got in a car accident and they got on pain pills and then you get hooked and then you can't get them anymore. And so you go buy them off the street, you know, because you, because coming down from drugs or from alcohol when you're physically dependent is such like uncomfortable is not even Mm -hmm. a correct description, you know, like it's torture, Um, you know, and you do everything and then, you know, it gets expensive. And so you, you, it's an, it's an, it's a slippery slope, but it's easy to fall from going from prescription pills to, to shooting, you know, dope because it's, it's cheaper, it's Mm -hmm. quicker and it's more available, you know, and yet we look down upon upon each other for like, oh, well, you know, I wouldn't do that. You know, I would never smoke, but I'll, you know, snort cocaine. It's like, right, right. you're not any better, bro. (laughs) Right, right. And I mean, even just when, you know, with, um, I've never taken any, which is, I, my best friend always, she was kind of my protector in a way she would, um, she was always more like the wild, the wild, you know, girl. And I was more the reserved mm-hmm. one. And she would always say, Kim, you're not doing that. Like you're not. Um, but I, I also didn't even like smoking pot in high school because I didn't even like how it made me feel like I was just, <laughs> but, um, and that's, I think how I got more attracted to Adderall is because it was like the complete opposite. And, but yeah. she was always watching out for me. She's like, you're not doing this, you know, um, you're, you know, what, if we're go- going to a party and things were, you know, going to be there, Coke or heroin, she's like, you're not, you're not coming. And, um, but I do have to say like the same thing with like with Adderall, like you just never know. Like I literally went to the doctor because I said I couldn't concentrate and I was depressed and I couldn't, you know, I was, didn't have any energy. And like, I was prescribed like that day. I didn't even go like seeking it out or anything. And, um, you know, like that's how that kind of started. And I thought it was okay because I was prescribed it, you know? And, um, but then I, you know, realized like it also suppresses your appetite and that's how I kind of more got into the the distorted eating. And that's really what intensified my eating disorder is from being on the Adderall because I wouldn't eat all day. Um, I would just fuel myself with, you know, um, coffee and zero calorie monsters and then start drinking in the afternoon. And then, um, uh, it's just, it, it's just a vicious cycle. But I, in my head, I was saying it was okay because it was legally prescribed to me, you know, and it actually, it, it's not, you know, but um, you just never know how things are going to progress until, you know, until they get pretty bad. Yeah. And it's just, you have to be careful when you're taking controlled substances, because there are so many people out there who really do need to be on certain medications, right? You know, right. when I'm, I'm not talking like your SSRIs and things like I'm, I take those, I take my antidepressants. Those are not things that you can, you know, get high from. That's why that the kind of disillusion of more traditional recovery programs that say like, well, you can't you're not really sober if you take, you know, antipsychotics. And it's like, well, you know, you can't really get high from yeah, taking yeah. like Lexapro. Right, <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> can try but it won't work um but then you have you know like you said you have people with adhd who need to be on ritalin and adderall and you have people who need to be on or ptsd and so like i all about harm reduction and i'm very transparent and telling people like still on benzodiazepines i am 
you know, for me, it's a, because there's, uh, like you said, this, this kind of, um, this judgment going on within every community itself about sober, what's worrying about like, de-stigma as a whole, um, more and I'm an advocate of like people need to do what they need better. 100% does not work. And some people, right? But some people need to that it's not my place to judge you know right said you're maybe okay your friend is into heavy drugs you know okay like my thought is how can we help her you know get to a better place hear about people who you know they're clean from drugs for you know a certain amount of time but they still drink um, I think, you know, in the beginning of my sobriety, I would have thought, oh, well, you know, they're not really sober because that's kind of what I was taught. But now, um, you know, as, as I've matured, as I've, you know, learned more and I've gotten more of an open mind, I've realized, you know, if that's what works for somebody and that's what keeps them away from, you know, the needle, okay, you know, hopefully if they ever abstinent, they can to be like policing the recovery space to say well if you're not doing it this way then you're here because you know those people are going out they don't and we should be you know welcoming everybody and saying you know whatever you need to do I hate like we're here to support you well you know you're No, exactly. And I know, um, I know like moderation doesn't work for me at all. I, I've tried totally. it over the years, no. obviously, you know, doesn't work. Um, so just completely abstaining from alcohol is the best for me. And just even mentally too, it took up too much mental energy to try to, um, to try to moderate. It's not even worth it, you know, but there's, you know, people out there that I've gotten messages, you know, and, um, that are, have just even, I'm just grateful that we're even able to reach people to um, help them even think twice about their alcohol or even drug use intake, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't have to be completely abstinent. If that doesn't work for you, it doesn't. But if, you know, you want to cut back or moderate or just, or try, um, you know, try a different approach. Um, I I think like that's, you know, what's important is that, yes, I, I preach that I, you know, I'm totally for being, you know, sober, but that's because that's what works for me. It might not work for, you know, everyone or, or whatever. So, um, but I think, you know, a thousand hours dry does a, you know, great job at, um, being very, you know, open, open arms and accepting everyone. Um, and just, you know, putting, but just putting facts out there, you know, about what alcohol is and, you know, what it can do to us. Totally. I just, I recognized what, like before and like, right when I created the space that, you know, there are plenty of places that you can go if you really need help. 
you know, like not plenty, I guess, but you know, there are places, you know, that's where I, you know, I started my foundation on the 12 steps and I'm grateful for that. And I recognize that that's a space for people who are really struggling, but who are at that level, you know, or their drinking wouldn't quote unquote qualify them for AA get turned off and they turn back or they you know come back when things get 10 times worse and it was important for me because I just recognized that and I thought you know what like I know a place for me you know god forbid like you know relapsed and back to old behaviors but you know where's this space for people who don't necessarily have know uh physical dependency issues or you know are not alcoholics or not addicts like where where is the space for the gray area you know or the people just looking to be healthier and to live happier you know right um and that's what really kind of inspired me because you know i i would love alcohol was a non-factor but you know i'm a realist i recognized you know the prohibition for a reason yeah we're not we don't I don't and I also don't want to live in a world where people um you know are are told like you can't punishment doesn't work um but I think you can educate people and give them and the power to choose and that's much more powerful you know and I think that's I'm really trying to follow in the footsteps of you know the anti movement and just letting people say you know we're not saying you're bad we're not saying you're no we were we were you right we would just want you to have all the all the information you know like we want you to know that you know alcohol caused not just like you know it causes cancer and you know your your risks are um blind not to mention like you know we're living in this age where we're dodging all this shit in our food because I know you talk about, you know, sustainable living. Like, how can you really know what you're eating unless you're like farming your own shit? Right. Um, and that we're breathing, like pretty much everything gives you cancer. The radio waves from our computers and our Apple watches and our, you know. And so it's one less thing to worry about. You know, I know that there are a lot of things that are out of my control. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I could get totally hit by a bus tomorrow and that would totally suck. Yeah. Um, but that's not what I'm planning for at least. Um, but when I think about what I do have control over, um, that is, you know, my consumption and being really, you know, conscious of what I'm putting in my body. And for me, that means, you know, no alcohol, no, no caffeine, um, because I'm taking my medication that I that I have to take right now and doing my harm reduction and I love to get to a place where and I am working towards a place where I can be completely um you know abstinent that's not where I'm at right now but I'm accepting of that and I'm happy because I know I'm in a good place I'm uh you know spiritually emotionally um and my intentions when I get up and 
you know, go throughout my day or, or take my medication as needed are not to escape the world Mm -hmm. because I'm having a, you know, a major like, uh, you know, OCD, a huge panic attack that I can't have using my mindfulness stuff. So I really had to do a lot of work to change the way that I'm able to use medication. And that's also once again, like not for everybody, you know, but it's about, I think, being really honest with yourself and knowing your intentions. And this goes back to everything, right? It goes back to your eating, your drinking, your use, your exercising, like really we can we can become addicted to a lot of things and we can restrict on a lot of things and we can use a lot of things to self-harm. Um, so you really have to be at all times of what you're, what you're doing, your intentions behind your actions are. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, like you said, like everything's like interconnected, you know, connected. Um, and just taking on like a more, and I didn't even realize this at the time, once I stopped, you know, drinking, um, mm-hmm. is just taking on more of like a, a, a like a, a holistic approach um, to our lives because everything's connected. I know I knew that once I stopped drinking, I have more of an addictive personality, um, and I um, I knew that you know a lot of people when they stop drinking they'll you know you know go to you know exercise, which is great, you know. But I knew I had to be careful with that because um, I was afraid. Kim. Uh, sorry, I lost you there for a second. Okay. Um, just pick back up on what you were saying. Um, you had to be careful with exercising. Yeah. Okay. Um, but like, I, I know that I have to be very careful with, with exercising and stuff because I have more of an, an addictive personality. And, um, I knew that like, once I stopped drinking, you know, if I started exercising intensely again, I would, I didn't want to sub one addiction for another. Totally. Um, and so that's something that I just have to be mindful about, you know, in, in all aspects of my life. Um, you know, am I, you know, is this something that I'm going to like start, you know, becoming more addicted to and you do it, you know, subconsciously. Um, but they could be good or bad things, but just, you know, having more of a, you know, holistic approach, um, to living is, you know, what has really helped me. And, um, so, yeah, I love that. I mean, it, it really is all intertwined and the, the bigger, I feel like when you get a grasp on that and you can start practicing, you know, more intentional actions in all aspects of your life you become a lot more balanced and a lot more happy. Like mm-hmm. I know I was before I stopped drinking, I was, you know, my OCD was super out of control. My anxiety was out of control. Um, and I was, you know, using everything like I could get my hands on to try and feel uh, stable or comfortable. And, you know, fast forward five years later, I like you, like I have a very um, addictive personality and, I'm just coming back from another foot injury from over-exercising because, you know, I have, you know, a habit of, of doing something and, and overdoing it. Yeah. And I recognize that about myself. Um, but it's taken, it takes a lot of time, right? Like it doesn't happen overnight. Um, but when I'm able to practice balance and, and say, you know what, like if all the dishes in the sink are not done 
right at the second nobody's going to die <laughs> or or if I take a rest day and I don't work out or I don't work out for a whole week you know it doesn't make me a bad person yeah you know all these associations that I used to have with like my perfectionism and my OCD and my anxiety of like if I don't do this this is going to happen if I you know, if I, if I'm, if I'm not doing X, Y, Z, then I'm not going to be able to reach my goals or I'm not going to be happy. Like, and that I never really like sat and stopped and, and, and thought like, you know, I'm not happy right now at all. So right. this, this, uh, you know, mindset of mine is clearly not working. And so more recently I've been really practicing just intuitive, eating, intuitive, exercising, like doing what my body is feeling in that time, you know, because like I, you know, said earlier, I'm also recognizing, you know, my body's coming off of a birth control, which I don't even know what, what it's really doing. Right. You know, sometimes, I'm, sometimes I'm hurting in some, in places, sometimes I'm really tired. Sometimes I think I'm going to start my period and I, and I don't, you know, like, I don't even know what's going on half time. So I feel like giving myself grace to say, you know what, if you need to take a nap today and just get some emails done and binge watch Netflix, that's okay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you lazy. You know, you have to unlearn all of these like preconceived notions about yourself that I think so many of us had. Like, you know, I'm bad. I'm not worth love. I'm not worth X, Y, Z and realize you are. And when you start practicing that, you know, like you would tell a friend, um, you become a lot more happy, um, and available for good things to happen to you. Um, and that's really what I've been recognizing uh, as of late, which is, um, it's nice to not be in this constant state of go, go, go. Yep. Um, which is exhausting. And I think like that's, but like, we're, we're, especially in social media, we see a lot of that, like, you know, have your, you know, your hustle or whatever, you know what I mean? Like a girl mm-hmm. boss and I've never, you know, gotten into that, but you don't need to be, we don't need to be like that. You know, it's like, no, no, you know, but <laughs> no, it's, it's a, it's an illusion, right? Like Instagram's great. Um, you know, that's the platform that I chose for a reason because it, it's a place to influence people, right? Yeah, like yeah. the the whole idea of influencing people's thoughts. That's where you propagate um, correctly, right? On a line of ethics. Like I'm not here to to conform anybody to my own set of beliefs because I really don't like groupthink. Um, but I also recognize, you know, like for me personally as an individual, not as you know, Kayla, the founder of That's on Our Dry, just Kayla. I have a personal Instagram account. That's a private account. I don't post that much. You know, I make it, I make it, a, there's a reason because for me, too much Instagram is really unhealthy for me. Mm-hmm. It's really bad for my mental health. It's bad for my ego. It's just all around toxic. And so, you know, I have, you know, the work accounts that I, that I run, but besides that, I really try my best to stay off and to also, you know, do all the things that, people say that seem really, you know, annoying to hear again and again, but I think really ring true to not follow all these Instagram models and celebrities that are so beautiful and, you know, uh, photoshopped (laughs) really, you know, only allowing yourself to see things that make you feel good about yourself. Yeah. And it's, it's not this, I think it's 
people think, well, you know, you can't just avoid things. And it's like, well, this is not really an avoidance because Instagram's not real. Right, <laughs> like, right. These, and I, I know firsthand as somebody who, you know, I used to live in LA, I used to model, that was my job. And uh, I would look at my pictures sometimes that they would, you know, give back afterwards. And I'd be like, I don't even look like this. And this is me. Um, (laughs) You know, it, it really warps your sense of beauty and self-worth and makes you feel bad about where you are. I'm not this, I'm not that, you know, I don't look like that, or I don't have that, you know, what am I doing wrong? But in, in reality, it's like, well, you don't know what that person's struggling with. You don't know if everything in that picture is rented, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like <Yep. laughs> there's so many things happening. And so I find like, for me, it's just safer to just not engage at all. And then I'm, I, I find I'm much happier when I spend as little time on Instagram as possible, except for, you know, checking in on the thousand hours dry account pretty much daily but you know luckily I have amazing people who run the account most of the time so I'm doing a lot of the behind the scenes and then you know running the reframe social and um you know if we get a dog I'll probably be obnoxious and like make him an account but (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome you know uh you got to know your boundaries and I think it's okay I mean I would say you know unless you need to you know obviously I want people to stay connected but I didn't have an Instagram for like a year and a half, probably uh, in like 2018, okay. like besides outside of a thousand hours dry, I didn't have and it was awesome. Like I just totally was in my own world and un- unaffected by, oh, you know, I have to take a picture tonight or, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, all that, all that kind of junk. And so think about deleting my account a lot, but it also makes it easier for people to connect directly rather than messaging and saying, Hey, is this Kayla? No, this is so-and-so. Right. Right. There's too many people running the page, but if you're listening, I I think, um, you know, it's totally okay to, you know, like get it, just get like a creeper account and just follow like all your sober, you know, and your health and your wellness accounts. And don't worry about if you don't have any posts, you know, like do what you need to do to, get in the right mindset um and to stay mentally healthy and like don't worry about like you know the pressure that comes with you know if you do decide oh I want to be a sober influencer or an advocate you know it it can be a lot and you want to make sure that you're not putting your mental health and your sobriety at risk at the you know as a trade-off for you know being a sober influencer or, you know, right, right. I gotta, I gotta get this post out today. I have to be so inspiring, even though I'm like majorly depressed and can't get out of mm-hmm. bed. That's not authentic. And, you know, you're not being real to your followers. And I, I know people who do that and it's like, dude, I know you're fucking suffering right now. And your Instagram makes it seem like you're doing fine and you're not like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not doing a service to anybody. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. We, I took a break a, a couple of weeks ago um, and I was just kind of just feeling overwhelmed, not really sure what I was doing with my account in a way, kind of just felt, I don't know, I wasn't feeling good about it. And I took a break and I yeah. stepped away and it was really, really nice. 
and I was able to come back and I'm like, when I came back, I was even talking to my husband because my husband isn't big into social media at all. Like he doesn't even know, like <laughs> he doesn't know anything about it, you know? Yeah. Um, but he's like, are you like kidding me? When I was like, you know, tell, talking to him about this, he's like, just post whatever the fuck you want, you know? And it's true. Like just post what I want, say what I want. And I, I always kind of done that to an extent, but then when you kind of get more sucked into it, you're like, should I be talking about this? Or, you know what I mean? Like, why are some of these accounts like so big? And I'm like, you know, do people like not like me? You know, it's just so stupid. Um, but totally. so when you get to that point, just like step away and like, it's okay. You know, it's literally just look at it as like a form of connection with other people. And I only follow people that like inspire me or that make me laugh or that I can learn something from, you know, um, I don't follow a lot of accounts that like make me feel bad about myself or even just like home accounts, you know, like home decor accounts or like, fashion accounts. I don't follow those because it doesn't make me feel good, you know, and that's okay. So yeah, I pretty much just follow people I know and Frenchies. I follow a lot of French bulldog accounts (laughs) because that's the puppy we're looking at. Oh my gosh, Um, that's cool. But, you know, I tell people too, like, right, because, you know, you look at a lot of people who have these like very curated social media accounts. And like you said, like, well, why doesn't my account look like that? Why don't I have X, Y, Z amount of faults? Um, and you have to consider, like, I, I tell people, you know, I was able to build this brand because I went to school for this. You know, like I have, I went to Virginia Tech for communications. Like that's my background, okay. you know? And and as soon as I actually like left rehab, I got an internship at a PR firm. Like, so, you know, I'm I'm doing what I do for work you know, okay. in that. So you wonder, you know, oh, well, how do people do that? It's like a lot of, I know a lot of people who actually work in advertising and marketing who are in the sober space and that's how they know. Okay. You have to have this many hashtags. You have to tag, you know, this many accounts. These are the, the analytics. This is the time. Like it, it really is a science, you know, it's not like, oh, somebody's content's better than somebody else. It's really about, you know, the science of, of Instagram or any other social media account. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, it's like, I try and remind people, like, I, I follow plenty of people who have way less followers than other people who have way better content. Uh, They just, you know, are posting at shitty times or they're not tagging anybody or maybe their account's private, you know, like there's so many things that go into it. Um, And so it's really not something to worry about. Or if it is something that you do want to get better at, like I totally recommend like taking like a branding workshop or like social media one-on-one and learning about all these kind of small tips and tricks. Cause there's so many. And once you get the whole, the hang of it, and that's really what I teach the thousand hours dry hosts. Cause there's like 60 of them, <laughs> you know? Oh gosh, yeah. And it's, it's really, you know, it's really basic, but once you get the hang of things, that's how you get these cohesive, you know, platforms that, you know, inspire and educate people, um, but also make, make them come because, you know, everybody likes something that looks nice, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's really just, it's a, it's a science. It's not a personal thing whatsoever. So I just like to kind of reiterate that with people because, um, of course, you know, social media gets really for a lot of people but I have to remind people at the end of the day it's just fucking Instagram yeah right like, right <laughs> that's literally what it is it's not your life you know you have a real life you have worth you have purpose outside of 
Instagram. Yeah, for sure. So Kim, I have one last question. This is kind of how I like to wrap, to wrap up my episodes, which is asking you um, a simple question. Um, <laughs> um, and that is that if you could give one piece of advice to somebody who is sober curious, they're on the fence, maybe they're in early recovery, um, or even something that you would have said to yourself right in the beginning that you you didn't know then, but you know now, what would that be? Um, I would just, I would say, um, immerse yourself with um, things and people that like align with the life that you want to have and create for yourself. Um, I think that having, you know, I know we were just talking about, you know, Instagram and, and, and some of the pitfalls of it, but it's a, it's a, it's an amazing tool to connect with other people and to mm-hmm. form connection and um, relationships with. And that's ultimately what helped me the most stay on track at the beginning. Um, and um, just build up, you know, your, I hate saying it, but like your sober, your sober toolkit um, or yep. whatever obstacle that you want to overcome. Um, do things that make you happy in a healthy way. And honestly, just take things day by day. Don't create these lofty goals or look too far ahead um, and just really get in tune with how you're feeling each day. And um, I think that's, you know, what, what helped, what helped me the most and what I would say to myself looking back. I love that. And it's so true. Like, you know, set little goals, attain little goals and allow those little goals to become bigger goals over time. You know, that's, I think, what has helped most of us become successful. Mm -hmm. Um, So Kim, where can people reach out to you if they want to talk with you about anything we've talked about on the podcast today, or just learn more about, you know, you and your blog and your advocacy? Yeah, you can um, find me at kimsingleton.solutions. That's on Instagram. And uh, my blog is, or my blog website is just kimsingletonsolutions.com. Um, you can pop over there and um, yeah, I mean, feel free to DM me or, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm, I check Instagram, you know, usually twice a day and um, yeah. And I will also be putting her contact information in the episode description of this episode. Um, and Kim will also be, um, the new host of the Reframe Instagram series uh, starting next Saturday, right? Yeah, I'm super excited about that. So on Saturdays, um, 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Um, uh, Eastern time, um, you can find me on the Reframe app um, chatting with other um, people in the you know sobriety industry or wellness. Um, so yeah, if you can't catch it live, um, definitely catch the replay. Yes. And I will be putting the information for that in the description as well. So thank you so much, Kim. I feel like we got, we covered so many great topics today. And I really think that, you know, that this is some important topics that people, you know, we need to get the conversation started. Right, right. I feel like we were kind of all over the place, but, um, but it's all things that we, yeah, we should, we should be talking about more often. So thank you so much for having me. Of course. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you.
Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Dry Life Podcast, a 1000 Hours Dry Podcast. You can actually now find us on Instagram at the Dry Life Podcast or on our main platform at 1000 Hours Dry. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you took something from today. Have a great day.